In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. And to him, and to him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance and the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of his glory."
Right now, I uh, understand a lot of people, Christians and non-Christians alike, are asking, is this the apocalypse? Is this the beginning of the plagues? I've had people ask me that this past week. And it most certainly is not the apocalypse. But there's no doubt that this is apocalyptic in nature. There's no doubt what's going on is apocalyptic. It is the revealing of God to us. The apocalypse simply means to reveal. If you get your Catholic Bible out, it calls the book of Revelation the apocalypse. And we tie all kinds of meaning to it, and we see the horrors of the story in Revelation, and we call that the apocalypse. But the apocalypse is the revealing of Jesus Christ, and that's why in our Bible we call it the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the revealing of Jesus Christ by Jesus Christ. That's the apocalypse. And there's no doubt what's happening right now in our culture and across the world is God revealing himself in Christ through a thing we call the coronavirus. I would call it a wake-up call. Many people are going to die. Many. Thousands. This is not the flu. This is much more contagious than the flu. And although it may not kill any more people than the flu that get it, it's going, a lot more people are going to get it. This is no doubt the Lord trying to reveal himself to us, and we need to be listening. We need to be paying attention. Paul was paying attention as he heard about the story of the Ephesians. Whether this is the church at Ephesus, or whether it's the church at Laodicea, or whether it's just the churches at Asia, Paul is saying this really clearly. I have heard. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and of your love for all the saints. And I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? Paul was listening. Paul had his ear to the ground. Paul understood what, where people were at spiritually. He had a team of men that he, and women, uh, Priscilla being one, that he worked with across the European world as he traveled on his missionary journeys. And he listened for reports, and he got reports, even though he's been in jail now for probably four years or more when he writes this. He's listening, and he says, I've heard about the faith that is in you there. I've heard that you have love for all the saints. And that's awesome. You're growing. Paul spent three years in Ephesus. And at the end of his time in Ephesus, Luke records for us that hardly anyone in all of Asia hadn't heard the gospel. Hardly anybody. The gospel had got out. But more than that now, Paul's been in prison for a while. He's been down to Jerusalem where he's arrested, sent two years in Centria where he's in jail, and now he's been in Rome for several years. Waiting for trial. Still under house arrest, but still waiting for trial. And he is moved to know these people are growing in the Lord. <laughs> it makes sense. You know, I hear about a certain couple from Lighthouse, 
and I hear different things about them, and I hear how they're growing in the Lord, and I praise God. That's a pastor's heart. The pastor hears about someone that they've known or ministered to, and, and, and they hear their growth, and they are jo- filled with joy because of it. And see, this is Paul here. Paul, he hears of what's going on in this church or these churches in Ephesus or in Asia. And he prays for them. He can't help but pray for them. He thanks the Lord for them. And that's what he says in verse 16. I give thanks for you continually, without ceasing. You know, half the time Paul uses this word for pray. He uses it combined with the word like always or without ceasing or continuously. This is something Paul just did. It was how he prayed. It's how he prayed for the people he loved. He prayed for them everywhere, all the time, no matter where he was. Driving in the car or walking down the road. <laughs> it makes sense to me. I imagine if Paul was on a plane, he'd be praying for somebody who sat there. Continuously. Making mention of them in his prayers. Remembering them in his prayers. And so he says in verse 17, this is how I pray for you. It doesn't, it's actually not found here. It just says that I remember you in my prayers. And then he says that. He begins to describe the prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. He may give you the spirit of wisdom. And he may give you the revelation, the knowledge of himself. So the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. And the Greek word here is kardea. It is heart, not understanding. Our King James, our new King James, used the word understanding because it comes from the Texas Receptus. But the Greek word here is heart, kardea. Heart. That the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. Now, see, he just prayed for wisdom. That's one thing. And he kind of prayed for revelation and knowledge. That's a second thing. But he also prayed that we would understand it, that our eyes would be open to it. The eyes of our heart. That means we're not just understanding. We're not just having knowledge here. It's not just some sort of intellect or mature ability to choose. That's way beyond that. That God would open your eyes to understand. This spirit of enlightenment then. To open your eyes and understand. And it's so, it's so true. How many times I have heard someone get saved suddenly and said, you know, I used to read the Bible and it made no sense to me. All of a sudden I came to Christ and I began to read my Bible and it's like the words started jumping off the page. I'm sure you've heard someone say that. Without the Holy Spirit, the Bible is very difficult to understand, but with the Holy Spirit, it becomes so much easier, so much clearer as the Holy Spirit guides us through and helps us to understand these things. This first part of his prayer, first part of the essence of his prayer, was that we would have the spirit of wisdom. I would say that that spirit is the Holy Spirit, which gives us wisdom. Now, I remember doing a study as a teenager throughout the book of Proverbs and, and trying to figure out how the ideas of wisdom and understanding and knowledge fit together. And it seemed to be pretty clear to me after reading through the Proverbs several times that knowledge is something we pursued and achieved. And understanding was something that was given by the Holy Spirit. And you could not have wisdom unless you had both. So in order for us to have wisdom, we must have the Holy Spirit working in us. 
And in order to have knowledge, then we have to have things revealed to us, either by our own study or by God himself. Now, I'll tell you, God does not come along and talk to us a whole lot anymore. I'm sure that there were times when Paul just sat there and he heard a word from God. I just don't get that. This idea of wisdom then did not come free for me. Yes, I would never have had any wisdom in my life if not for the Holy Spirit, but the knowledge I have gained was not free. I worked for it. I sought after it. I pursued it. I looked for it. I studied day and night. I put my nose into the book, and I earned what I got. It did not come free. Godly understanding, if I have any at all, that's from him. That's his. But Paul then says, I pray that you will have the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of the knowledge of knowledge in him. Now, he's not just saying, I, I hope the Holy Spirit comes in you and, and gives you this incredible knowledge. And all of a sudden, you just like, you turned on your hard drive and boom, you're there. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about you having that spirit which, again, is not free. You must submit. In order, you, it's, it's like this vessel we are, this huge vessel. The Holy Spirit's in us, and, and we have this vessel where the Holy Spirit takes residence in us, and that's the, the earnest of our inheritance. We're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit can't fill us up when we're filled with ourselves. And when we think somehow that we're important, when we think somehow that my sin is more important than the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit can't work in us. It's until, until I empty myself of myself, the Holy Spirit cannot fill me. I remain me filled. But when I begin to empty myself of myself, the Holy Spirit begins to fill me. Then wisdom can take over. Then wisdom can apply the knowledge that I've gained. And then this revelation that I worked so hard to understand begins to make more sense. And it makes more and more sense. Not only is it not free, sometimes it just doesn't come until you've lived a few years. The essence of Paul's prayer was that we would be given wisdom, the spirit of wisdom, that the uh, revelation that we find, pursue, achieve, Study will be applied, and the eyes of a heart will be opened so that we understand it. This is the essence of Paul's prayer. Three simple things. That the God of glory, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, will give you the spirit of wisdom. Revelation, the knowledge of him, and the eyes of your heart will be opened or enlightened. Finally, there's Paul's purpose in his prayer. He's just not asking for you to have understanding. He's just asking that you will know these things and have wisdom. Because if you have wisdom and knowledge and you do nothing with it but sit in your garage, then you do nothing but preach to all that he will never, will never serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to be someone who just sits in my man cave. The purpose of Paul's prayer was that so that you will understand what is the hope of your calling. And what is the hope of your calling? Well, this is what we talked about last week. The hope of your calling is my 
husband's story, my Lord Jesus Christ is coming back for me. That's part of the hope. The hope is that since I was called, according to Romans 8, I, I have been redeemed. I have been justified. And who he justified, he will glorify. And I am going to be glorified in a glorified body. That's coming my way. Be nice to take this body off and put on a glorified body. I was happy with what I was given, but it is gone. I can't imagine what it's going to be like to have a glorified body. I, I love the idea of, of walking along like Philip and finding myself 100 miles away. I love the idea when Christ actually in his glorified body just came right through the wall. Or he said, I'll meet you in Galilee. And next thing you know, he's in Galilee. <laughs> I have no idea what it's really going to be like, but I know that glorified body is amazing. I know that there is something to be hoped for. I will put off this old shell, this thing that is rotting away, and I'm going to have a body that's new and fresh and vibrant and better than my old one ever was. What a great hope. I have a hope that I'll put off this body of sin, that I'll no longer be tempted to do the things I ought not, that I'll no longer be filled with self, never again filled with self, but filled with the Lord Jesus Christ and Him only. What a day it will be. <laughs> what a day it will be. I have great hope in that calling, and we ought to. He's coming back for us. He wants us to understand what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance. I can't even begin to fathom. I saw this woman yesterday. She robbed people for years and years and years. She took, kept taking money out of this, this fund. She drew a good salary of a half a million dollars a year, but she kept taking money from this fund, 50, 60, 70,000 dollars at a time, and living like a queen for 30 years before she was caught, stealing from pensioners. And I thought to myself, you scum. You stole and stole and stole from so many people so that you could live like a queen. And, and I think to myself, she's not going to live, she did not live anywhere near to the standards you and I are going to live in glory. Look, I, 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 I love ribeye. I love ice cream. These things are awesome to me. There's going to be better stuff than this. I, I, I love it when the saints sing in harmony. When there's this swaying to the music and the Spirit moves you. Hey, that's going to be every day up there. What are, the riches of the inheritance in Him are phenomenal. The glory that will be ours through Jesus Christ is unfathomable and so not ours to have. Why should I get somehow the glory for what He did? But that's what the book says. And as a down payment, as a promise that that's coming, the Holy Spirit resides in me. God himself took residence in this. Yes. Paul wants us to understand what the hope of his calling is, our calling is, or his calling in us. He wants us to understand the riches, the glory of his inheritance. He wants us to understand what the exceeding greatness of his power toward us is. This is a fantastic word, words in the Greek, fantastic phrase. The super throne, overthrown, the super mega, megaton, megatron of his 
dynamite power. <laughs> the Greek is dynamite power of God. The same power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead. This is the power that resides in you and I. Power. That's not future, folks. That's now. For every brother and sister in Christ, this is the power that's available to us. This is the power that's available to enable us to do the things he's asked us to do. God asks you to witness your neighbor. He said, but I really don't know enough. Just do it. You'll be shocked. You'll be shocked at the name of the Holy Spirit. You think he's not able? The one who raised Jesus from the dead, the one who defied all objects of, of science and, and, and took a dead body, breathed life into it? It even defies logic that Jesus Christ could take on the sins of the world and take them in hell and rise above it. This God can do anything. There is no limit. And this is the power that he enables us to do the things that he wants us to do. In my weakness, he's strong. When I cannot, he does. That is my God. The overthrown mega dynamite power of God rests on frail people like me. Like me. This present apocalypse, this present revealing of God himself to the world, what does it mean to us? God is never not revealing himself. In days like these that are so apocalyptic in nature, he is all the more revealing himself. God is certainly revealing himself to everybody, but how much more to those that know him? Paul's prayer for us is that we'll be given wisdom and insight into God to understand what is going on around us. Oh, that we would be enlightened by divine wisdom and revelation under the full grasp of the hope of calling, our calling in Christ, the riches of an inheritance in Christ, and our outrageous enablement in Christ. In days like these, do we see Christ coming? Do you hear Christ calling? It is Christ revealing himself right now in this present apocalypse. It is Christ. And this text, we're being told to be and to do. And if we look at it carefully, we can see that we should be aware of those around us. We'll be praising God for their growth in the Lord. We should be praying for those around us as we recognize our need. We should be looking for wisdom from God, praying for wisdom, which only comes by us emptying ourselves of ourselves so the Holy Spirit can speak to us. We should be studying. We should be gathering all the knowledge we can. Then our eyes will be open. Then we can do the works of ministry. Then all of a sudden, that speaking over the fence is not only not fearsome, it's looked for. I spoke with a man this week. He said to me, as I'm beginning to pray, and actually as we left our, our, our time together, he prayed that we would, together, seek divine appointments every day. 
seek that God would place someone on our path each and every day to, with whom we might share the gospel of Jesus Christ. A divine appointment so that we might exercise the gifts that he's given us to do, not just be. Oh, be knowledgeable. Be full of wisdom. But don't sit in your garage. Go do the gospel. In this present apocalypse, people are asking, is this the apocalypse? It most surely is not. But make no mistake, God is trying to reveal himself right now. Through this, through us. Christian, are we listening? Are we ready to open our mouths and speak? That's a question. Father in heaven, I pray that you will use these words. I pray, Father, that you would guide us and this little church to where you would have us go, each and one of us fulfilling our task that we've called to do. I pray for this current virus, Lord, that you would spare us the possibilities of millions of deaths. But I pray your will be done. I pray there's a wake-up at this wake-up call. I pray in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.